Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us at INC Live. My name is Carl Birmage, and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of the screen. He is the Brian Campbell to my Luke Thomas. He is the conspiracy to my Phoebe. He is John Marsh in MMA. John, thank you once again for joining us on the show. What's up, Carl? Thanks for having me. What's up, INC Live listeners? Uh, I'm John from the Martian MMA podcast. I've been on the show before, but if you don't know where to find me, I'm on Twitter at UFO underscore UFC, and you can find the Martian MMA podcast on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. I make podcasts before every single UFC card, mostly talking about the betting odds on each card, and uh, it looks like it just started raining outside, so if you hear some rain in the background, it'll just add to the ambiance of the podcast certainly so and it's a good thing you bring up as well the ambience and the sound as well because i was looking at our SoundCloud page for like the first time in like two years i had a look at the analytics we got something like 200 300 people who listen to the show through soundcloud and itunes so uh, a big thank you to anybody who is audio only which is probably a blessing considering i am an absolutely ugly son of a gun come on don't sell yourself short carl <laughs> that's ridiculous we're both Tremendous looking men. I've got a beard and glasses. So I'm at a really low point right now. I do now. too. I, 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 I wear glasses too over there. That's like the typical MMA fan look. True, just some, true. Just some, you know. Well, Helwani as well. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're both neckbeards. I don't know if we both can, <laughs> we're both that tier. But, uh, you know, we're, we're the typical. I'd say we're above average, the typical MMA fan uh, in looks. But uh, that's not what we're here to discuss. We're not, luckily. no. I mean, there's plenty of YouTubers who will talk about male grooming advice. We're here to talk about fights. And we're here specifically right. to talk about UFC 265, which I think it's safe to say this is a bit of a... It's a bit of a strange card for us to cover because on the whole, since the UFC came back from lockdown, the UFC pay-per-views have been, let's be honest, they've been, quite frankly, absolutely brilliant. And the UFC have gone out their way to make these post-pandemic shows feel really special. So, you I mean, you look at... UFC 261, for example, you had three title fights, you had a stacked undercard, the crowd was on fire for it, and a lot of people regard it as one of, probably one of the best UFC pay-per-views the company have done in years. This, to me, feels like the sort of show they did pre-March 2020. So not necessarily a bad card. I actually think you've got some sneaky good fights here. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't feel special. And I don't know if that's because we lost the core main just a couple of days out from recording this show. I don't know if it's because it's an interim title fight rather than the full thing. Do you, is that fair to say, John? Do you feel the same way? Yeah, that's fair. And uh, one thing I disagree with, it's definitely not Amanda Nunes. The card doesn't feel lackluster because we lost Amanda Nunes. Not not many people were looking forward to that fight. But I think the, the interim title is definitely the reason why... Um, we're not getting too hyped for it. Obviously, Angano won the championship and the undisputed championship just a few months ago. So it doesn't make much sense that they're doing this interim title. But Derek Lewis is from Houston. He's the hometown guy. I'm sure there'll still be uh, some fun atmosphere in the crowd that night, especially because the entire arena will probably be booing Gain, and then he will just pick apart Lewis for 25 minutes. Um, so that'll be that'll be exciting to watch the the crowd. Um, you know anticlimactic reaction to that but i think there are some great fights in this card the greatest fighter ever jose aldo is on this card um the second greatest fighter bobby green is on uh this card too so like there's some good sneaky matchups in this card uh especially the whole main card i mean those are all really good fights 
Um, so I'm still looking forward to the card regardless, but I definitely agree that it doesn't have that same like star power feel that the first few cards did. I would say everything from Green versus Fizayev up to the main card, in my opinion, are a great fight. Yep. Yeah, like I think um, they're all like B plus, A minus type of fights. Um, you know, they're they're all really good. Really looking forward to uh, Casey Kenny, Song Yudong, Kiesa Luke, like the one you just said, Fiziev Green and Aldo Munoz. Those are all like really amazing fights. Um, so I'm, st I'm still looking forward to the card, even though it doesn't have the greatest main event. And uh, there are some uh, some decent prelims as well. We'll I'm sure we'll glance over them in a little bit here. And we'll discuss those in a lot more detail. For now, though, we're going to be talking about some of the other stories which have been happening in the world of mixed martial arts. Uh, good win for Sean Strickland up against Uriah Hall last night. Uh, Bellator as well, probably one of their best shows for a long time with AJ McKee beating Patricio Pitbull. What I'm going to be talking about, though, is a fight which is going to be taking place in a couple of months' time. The UFC have started putting in the preparations for UFC 268. Uh, the rumor is it's going to be November the 6th at Madison Square Garden, and penciled in for the main event is Colby Covington versus Kamaru Usman. main reason I bring this up is I've noticed a sort of trend when it comes to the UFC this year, and it's sort of like a, a discussion topic. We might do our own video about this, which is... The UFC last year only did two rematches in main events or title fights. So it was Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovsky, as well as DC versus Stipe Free. So those were the only two rematches the UFC have done. If you look at main events or title fights from the UFC in 2021, we have already had five. We've got two more penciled in, Colby versus Usman, as well as Aljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan. And depending on how circumstances happen, we could be getting another two with Adesanya versus Whitaker and Rose's next opponent, because regardless of who that is, it's going to be a rematch as well. On the whole, the UFC have never really gone down the rematch route, yet this year there's been a change in circumstances. Now, admittedly, there's a lot of different reasons why these rematches are taking place, but it's, it's a method, it's a medicine that the UFC are looking at a lot more. Why do you think that is? Um, I think I have a pretty good explanation why I think in the past um, fighters would be able to work their way up to the top a lot easier. They would get three or four wins. They would get a title shot and you'd kind of work your way up the rankings and then, you know, back down and, and you'd replace, uh, you know, new contenders would replace each other every year. Now in the UFC, it's becoming like this huge gulf between the top three or four fighters in the division and everybody else. I mean, if you look at featherweight, there's Volkanovski. There's Holloway, and then there's a huge gap between guys like Ortega and Korean Zombie and Yaya Rodriguez. I mean, uh, Volkanovski and Holloway would beat all those guys with their eyes closed. So um, I think that's one of the issues that's happening. And then also the UFC, from a promotional standpoint, is just like if their fighter, their their desired fighter doesn't win, they'd have no problem just doing a completely unwarranted rematch. Like Masvidal lost. He didn't fight again. They let him fight Jorge again. I mean, it was kind of a weak move from Jorge to even want to fight Masvidal again. Um, the I'd say the Vittoria uh, Adesanya rematch was warranted. The Miocic and Ganu rematch was warranted. Um, 
Figueredo and Moreno wasn't, in my opinion. I mean, you just had a five-round fight. Sure, it ended with a draw, but, I mean, between you and me, Figueredo clearly won that fight. Then they did the unnecessary rematch, and then Figueredo loses. Now what are they going to do? An unnecessary trilogy? So, like, they put themselves in this bad situation where they just keep doing the same fights over and over. And, I mean, I, I personally don't love it. Uh, I, I think that rematches aren't, aren't that fun to analyze. Um it's much more fun to, to analyze a, a, a fresh fight for the first time. But like I said, there's a clear explanation why this is happening. But the difference between the top few people in every UFC division and like the rest is is the the gap between them is growing. And I think that's a big concern as well from the UFC's perspective because like as much as we like to romanticize pride, and certainly I do to an extent, I love the old pride guys, but one of the big issues of pride had was they used to go to the well of having the same matches too many times. I mean, there's only so many times you can see Vandalay destroy Kazushi Sakuraba before it starts getting sad. And I feel like the UFC, I don't think it'll ever get to the stage that they did with Pride, but the UFC are running the risk of burning people out of having too many of the same faces around the title picture. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, look at Welterweight. We're going to have... Um... Kamara Usman fighting Masvidal twice, uh, Colby twice, you know. Probably going to fight Leon two twice. Wins. Yeah, true. That's a, that's a rematch. That's that's a, a warranted one. I mean, that makes sense because Usman lost, or um, excuse me, Edwards lost. He fought for years and years, racked up wins, has built the resume to earn it, and then they still don't give him the title shot. I mean, uh, Colby Covington beat Tyron Woodley in unexciting fashion. Uh, that was his only fight in the past two years, pretty much. And he, he's getting another title shot. I mean, Vincente Luque destroyed Tyron Woodley way easier than Colby Covington did. And I mean, that win means next to nothing, in my opinion. So Colby Covington has done nothing to prove that he deserves another title shot. They're giving him this title shot for who knows what reason. Leon Edwards just beat up Nate Diaz in front of millions of people over five rounds. He proved he's a five round fighter. He beat the more, you know, notorious opponent, I guess you could call it. Uh, I think the promotional right move is to give Leon Edwards, the guy on an eight or nine fight win streak, the title shot. But who the hell knows what, what the decision making behind the UFC is at this point? Um, I'm not that excited for Colby versus Usman, too. The first fight was good. It was exciting. But I just think that Usman's on a different level. I think he's gotten much better since they fought um Kobe Covington hasn't proved that he got any better. I mean, beating Tyron Woodley does nothing for me in terms of the Usman matchup, especially the way he beat him. So uh, I'm not too excited. I think Usman's going to knock him out probably earlier than he did the first time, probably in the second or third round this time. In my opinion, one of the big reasons why why um, Colby versus uh, Colby versus Usman is taking place, in my opinion, is the marketing perspective. Because whether you like Colby's uh, shtick or not, it does attract a reaction from both the hardcore fans and the everyday fans. And I think that's what the UFC are capitalizing on. And in terms of marketability, as much as I hate to say this, because Leon Edwards is uh, a Brit, as I am, Leon just doesn't have that same sort of casual pull in the way that Colby does. And I think on the whole, I think that's a big factor in why we're seeing so many rematches, because the guys on the whole who are getting the rematches are your Colby Covingtons. Um your Francis Ngannou, your sort of more casual, friendly names. We're even sort of seeing this 
we were sort of talking about this before the show when it came to strawweight, where we could very easily see Joanna or Weili getting their rematches against Rose before Carla, because both of them are more casual friendly fighters, both more marketable names compared to Carla, who's a bit of a bit of a dull wrestler. Yeah, I mean, if they give that title shot to Zhang, I mean, we got a fucking riot against the UFC. We're going to the headquarters with Carla Esparza t-shirts on saying, you fucked up. Because, I mean, how could they give Zhang another title shot? She just got her head kicked off the arena. I think they're still looking for Zhang's head in the arena down in Florida there. No one's been able to find it since Rose punted it across the arena. In, in what, 90 seconds? Why would you do a rematch? Chinese she, market. She had one title. Chinese money. That's bull. That's bullshit. There's no, there's no Chinese market. There's no Colby Covington fans. I, I don't buy any of this. I think that the UFC has virtually no idea what they're doing with, with choosing these, these fights and choosing the promotional side, as you call it. I mean, I think a lot of the influence is WME, Hunter Campbell coming in and trying to take some new approach to this business. But it's we're getting further and further away from the sport of MMA, where you can actually deserve a title shot and get a title shot and we're just going you know down the boxing route of doing the promotional uh right thing but um yeah i don't like it and on that <laughs> cheery note we get on to ufc 265 now we mentioned before uh we would be discussing some of the prelim fights you can see those prelims on our screen right now um we sort of hinted on this when we were talking about in our initial introduction but is there any fight on the prelims that takes your fancy um, a lot of lesser known fighters, I think like I'm looking at it right now, maybe 10 of these fighters have less than like three or four UFC fights. So a lot of guys that will pr probably fly under the radar, uh, Miles Johns versus Anderson Dos Santos is a fight that was supposed to happen a few weeks ago. I'm looking forward to that one. Ed Herman, one of the, one of the veterans of the game. I, I honestly love Ed Herman and I will defend I would die on this hill that Ed Herman had the greatest comeback in UFC history versus Mike Rodriguez in his last fight. Um, so that'd be fun. And uh, Carolina's comeback. Um, she hasn't fought in a while. Kovacavich is coming back. Um, what about you? Are you excited for any prelim fights? I wouldn't say I'm excited for Carolina versus Penny, but I I'm more intrigued because it people forget this. Obviously, bearing in mind it was a long time ago, but both Jessica Penny and Carolina have both fought for the strawweight title. They both fought against Joanna, both came up short. And for me, it's sort of symbolic of how far the strawweight division has progressed. That we have two girls who, back in their primes, were very capable, strong fighters, obviously seen in a high enough regard to get that title fight. And now they're both unranked, and a lot of people believe that the loser of this fight is going to retire, maybe even the winner. Um, so, again, I, it's not a fight that I think is going to be a good fight, but again, it's a testimony to how far strawweights come. And personally, I I think the bookmakers have Carolina as a favor for this one. I'm going to go with Penny. I think I saw just enough fire from Penny in a comeback fight to think that she wants this a little bit more than what Carolina does. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, that's a good assessment of the entire fight, honestly. But um, the best fight on the prelims, everybody knows it. Rafael Fizia versus Bobby Green crazy lightweight matchup you got the power striking the speed of fiziev uh, versus the veteran bobby green who is really underrated everywhere i mean the guy is a fantastic striker wrestler defensive grappler i mean bobby green the only thing he doesn't do well is like initiative and aggression 
Um, Bobby Green really loves the anticipation of a split decision. So he tries to make his fights as close as possible to get that split decision. But it's still a great matchup. I mean, Fiziev's a three to one favorite, but that line is off. The fight is going to be closer than that. And I think Bobby Green's going to give him a pretty tough time. Uh, you have a, an idea of how that fight's going to go, Carl? I, I think Bobby Green's been one of the sort of like, sort of overlooked feel good stories of sort of like the lockdown either. Because there was a once upon a time he was fighting like pretty much once every two or three months. And he was having some pretty good fights. I, I seem to remember he beat Clay Guida. Am I remembering that right? Yeah. So yeah, he's let's he, see. Yeah, he was three and zero in the pandemic. He did lose a close decision to uh, Tiago Moises before that, which is no shame as well because I personally thought the Green B Moises. So he sort of yeah, I did at the time. So I don't think Bobby Green's ever going to be ranked or anything like that. But he's just sort of been one of those sort of like great feel good stories of say the past 12, 15 months. So I am intrigued to see how he would do against Fizayev, but. I saw how well Fazayev did up against Moicano, who who was a guy I rate very, very highly. And I think that if he's making such easy work on Moicano, he can easily get past Bobby Green. True. Um, the one thing I'll say about that, though, is I think that Moicano didn't really fight with the best strategy in that fight, didn't um, crowd Fiziev as enough as he needed to. He kind of just kickboxed with Fiziev at, at distance and gave him the fight he wanted. And... Moicano has also been been hurt and rocked a few times and knocked out. Uh, Bobby Green is like pretty notoriously durable. Only been finished one time in the past five years by Dustin Poirier. Whatever happened and to him. I think the Green. Yeah, right. Um, that guy. Yeah, that guy's done nothing since then. But uh, yeah, Bobby Green, I think he's going to probably try to wrestle him. Uh, you know, maybe get in some 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 dirty inside boxing exchanges and just not give Fiziev the fight he wants. So uh, I think Bobby Green's a really live underdog there. Anything else that takes your fancy apart from that? Uh, I know that there's a lot of big Ryzen fans who are excited about Manel Karp. Um, obviously, he was a big champion over in uh, Japan. Hasn't really gone well for him so far in the UFC, though. No, I mean, the guy doesn't really like to throw punches sadly for him i mean he's he's been in two really close fights that he could have won both of them um but he just didn't have the necessary output or aggression so hopefully the guy comes out throwing a little more uh strikes this time but he's a two to one favorite over Ode osborne who's you know kind of an untested guy um cape should probably get his first victory uh, on saturday night osborne i believe making his flyweight debut uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I think he I remember him fighting is Brian, a bantamweight. I think I remember him fighting Brian Kelleher at uh, Bantamweight, so that makes me think he's moved back down. Yep. True, true. He might have, uh, yeah, you're right. I think it is his uh, flyweight debut. Interesting to see how that'll go. I think the guy's pretty big. 5'7", eh, he's not that big. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's probably, uh, we could probably covered them good enough. Or we should be good to move on to the main card. We will do, and we start with fight number one now. A lot of people were thinking this even before TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen, but that fight seemed to confirm it. The UFC bantamweight division is the best division in the UFC right now. And not only have we got a stacked top 15, we've got something like seven or eight major champions from uh, big promotions, whether it's the UFC, Bellator, uh, the World Series of Fighting, etc. But you look at the guys who are unranked in this weight class. I've got a list here of some of the guys who haven't even got a top 15 place. Sean O'Malley, Randy Costa, Uman Nurmagomedov, Adrian Yanez, Jack Shaw, Ricky Simone, Nathaniel Wood, and Heoni Barcelos. 
all of these guys, high quality athletes, haven't even got a ranking. And we can also add to that list Sonia Dong and Casey Kenny. At the moment, minus 110 between both of them, so it is a pick and fight. Where do you stand on this one, John? Potentially a banger to start off the main card. Yeah, this is a great fight, and that's a great point about the Bantamweight division. You got, like, actually several different guys who I think could be the champion in the next few years. Um, you got some old veterans like Cruz and TJ that are coming back into the mix, and I honestly see two guys at the top. It's Peter Yan and Pedro Munoz. I think even guys like Rob Font, um, I think there's there's still a few steps down, and I really think it's it's Yan and Munoz ahead of the pack, and we'll, we'll talk about Munoz here in a little bit. Um, but this fight is a great fight between, I think, the more versatile fighter and Casey Kenny. I think he is a little bit more layered of a striker. He's obviously fighting out of that southpaw stance. And I think he just mixes up his striking a little bit better between his punching combinations, mixing in some kicks. And the guy actually has some really good knees and elbows in the clinch as well. And Song Yudong is the more powerful striker, maybe the better boxer of the two, but he is so reliant on that right nice. hand of his. He's so reliant on that power, uh, that leg kick. He really has two main weapons, and I feel like Casey Kenny is skilled enough of a striker and a fighter to be able to defuse those weapons. I think uh, Casey Kenny's the better grappler. And we have seen Song Yudong taken down and uh, outgrappled a little bit. He got taken down by Marlon Vera and uh, Kyler Phillips in his last fight. And, you know, he did lose that fight to Kyler Phillips. And, and I wouldn't say Kyler Phillips' stock dropped in that Paiva fight, but you realize that he is kind of a flawed fighter. Um, and Song Yudong pretty cleanly lost to him. So uh, I think I'm siding towards Casey Kenny on this one. He just is coming off the loss as well, but to one of the best fighters ever uh, in Dominic Cruz. And I just think that uh, Kenny is the more versatile fighter. He's got more ways to win. And Song Yudong is a little too reliant on that that right hand of his. So I, I see Casey Kenny winning a decision here. What about you, Carl? I'm leaning same way as you do. Um, I think it's an interesting situation with Casey Kenny, though, because I think if there's... A sort of a, a period of time that I think sums up Casey Kenny. I know he appeared on Dana White's Contender Series. He won his fight by unanimous decision. And then Dana White went through all the people. He said whether or not you're going to give them a contract. And he just basically said, you're not exciting enough at this moment of time to get the contract. He had to become a two-way champion in LFA and then take the rear Borg fight on short notice to get that opportunity in the UFC. Since then, he's gone 5-2 with the promotion. His only losses are Dominic Cruz and Marab Dvalishvili. So no shame in losing to either of them two. And his notable wins, Nathaniel Wood, Louis Smolka, and Ray Borg, as I mentioned. So in my opinion, he has a better portfolio of wins than what Song does. But even though I think he's the better fighter overall, and I think he's got a fantastic cardio, fantastic gas tank, if he's going to win, it's going to be by decision. I don't see him getting the finish, whereas I can with Song. It's just whether or not Song can connect with that perfect punch to do that. And I don't think he's going to be able to, considering how durable Casey is. Yep, I see that completely. Um, I think the only way K Casey will finish is probably a, a submission song is pretty durable, but even that doesn't seem too likely to me. I think Casey would probably have to hurt him and then uh, latch on a submission, but you're right. If it goes to the scorecards, it definitely favors Kenny. If it goes uh, ends inside the distance, it probably is a song knockout. But um, I think if you like song, just probably bet him by knockout instead of by uh, by money line. 
And uh, Kenny, Kenny is the money line side here, in my opinion. I think there's two big concerns I have with Song Yudong. Um, the first one is, you sort of mentioned it before, it's an over-reliance on that power right hand. And I think he's almost sort of, he sort of suffers from the same issues I feel that uh, Superboy Choi does. Whereas, technically, I think he's very, very good. But sometimes he waits a bit too much to try and land that perfect punch. If he connects with it, you're going down. It's just, I don't think he, he is as efficient as he needs to be with that strike. And also as well, I do have some issues over his conditioning. And as you mentioned, his grappling, because the fight that really scared me with Song was the Cody Stearman fight. But Stearman took him down and he, he had That's no right. answer. Yeah, that was that was a wacky decision. I com- I actually completely forgot about that one. But yeah, Stearman did out-wrestle him and keep him down for like five minutes there. Uh, I th- like, did Stearman have like a point deduction there? It was something weird where somehow that was a draw, even though it should have been a clear Stearman win. Yeah, I think it was a fence grab. Really? I yeah, think so. That, that was a wacky result. I, I did forget about that one. Um, but yeah, it looks like we're agreeing here. We're both picking Ke- uh, Casey Kenny decision, right? I personally am. I'm going to go with a Casey Kenny decision, but I do think if it finishes inside the distance, I'm favoring Song. What is interesting yep. to say, though, is you know me, I like my facts and stats. Chinese fighters this year in 2021 haven't had a good year so far. I think we've only had like two Chinese fighters win out of 12 or 13. I think it's, yeah, it's two, 10 and one or something like that. There might be one draw or no contest in there. Yeah. But, uh, I, I do, I think, um, let's see who the, I don't think we have to try to memorize or I know remember who they were. It was Sumadar. Yeah. Sumadarji and Li Jingliang are the ones to win and everybody else lost. Coincidence. What, what do you think it is? Do you think the UFC may be trying to push the Chinese fighters a bit too hard? I don't know. I just uh, I don't know if I'm saying anything too you know controversial here, but I just don't think they're they're really training that high quality MMA down in in China. I don't think the regional promotions are very good, and we see a lot of like four and zero, five and zero, six and zero fighters coming into the UFC from China, and then they lose. I mean that two, UFC two sixty one card, Chinese fighters went zero and four, I think. So. Um, we did have a few Chinese fighters get their fights canceled recently. Uh, Hu Yaodong and uh, Wu Yanan in the last uh, card. So, yeah, you can blame um, Nico Matano for that one. Man. Yeah, totally. We're, yeah, worst champ ever. Shout out INC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that video got a massive spike in popularity after um, after Nico missed a weight cut. Like, we have ended up by about like 500 views, something like that, in like an hour. Yeah. You're going to have to send those monetization checks to uh, Nico Montano. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to stress as well that the whole comment about Chinese fighters wasn't any sort of offensive comment. It's just, I remember when Connor burst on the scene and he made the whole deal about Ireland taking over and the UFC started signing every single Irish fighter they could. And let's be honest, I mean, outside of maybe Joe Duffy, none of them really were UFC worthy in my opinion. And I just feel that's the similar situation that we've had with some of the Chinese fighters coming into the UFC right now, trying to cash in on, like, where Lee's booming popularity. Yeah, well, I mean, Li Jingliang, was, was he the first Chinese UFC fighter? I think there was someone and, just before um, him, but Leech was the first one to really make it successful. Well, yeah, he's been in the UFC for, like, seven seven or eight years, and there hasn't been that, that boom where you're talking about. I mean, he, 
probably is the most popular Chinese UFC fighter. And he is like fringe top 15, top 10. Uh, he is a solid fighter, but there is no, you know, cavalry coming behind him. It's not happening. Um, the the level of MMA in China, I don't think, is improving. And it really has to do with their, their regional shows. It, like, you can't be matching up, you know, these low-level fighters against each other. They're not learning anything. So by the time they get to the other side of the world uh, or in Russia or something like that, they're fighting just much more experienced fighters and they're losing. But um, we've probably gone on about this enough. We got a, we a great next fight. Yep. We certainly do. Now, this was an early, this was a very late addition to the main card. Obviously, the core main fell through, but we have got a women's fight, which is on the main card. It's in the strawweight division. Tisha Torres, the number 10 seed, is taking on Angela Hill, number 12. And I'm going to start this by making a bit of a bold statement. I want to see whether or not you agree with it. Tisha Torres is women's MMA's greatest gatekeeper. But if you look at her record, a 12-5 and record, and the five women she's lost to, Rose Namajunas, Joanna, Jessica Andrade, John Lee, and Marina Rodriguez. All five of these girls are currently ranked in the top five of their weight class, all of them are former champions. Yeah, I think I give her a little better credit than a gatekeeper because, like you said, the only people she's losing to are like really high level fighters. I think of Random Marcos as like the go to gatekeeper um, because, like, if you can if you can beat her, like you'll probably have some some decent success in the UFC, win like three to five fights. You're not necessarily going to be a champion, but I think she's a good litmus test. Um, you could honestly argue Angela Hill is a gatekeeper as well. So we've got a battle of the gatekeepers, and we've also got a rematch as well, because a lot of people forget this. These two ladies fought each other in Mexico, UFC 188, which ironically was the last time we had an interim heavyweight title fight. That That is a good point. Um, <laughs> wait, wait. No, that, no, it wasn't. UFC 180 was the interim title. Oh, 188 was when that, they, it was they the actually union fight, wasn't it? it? For Doom versus Kane. Sorry about that. I've yeah. been dead wrong. See, you, you don't you don't know shit, Carl. I had to correct you. <laughs> What would you you'd be lying to the viewers out here if it weren't for me? Um, but yeah, that was I rewatched that fight this week. Man, not much happened in it, honestly. It looked like Tisha Torres was a little like scared to engage at range. Like she didn't, I guess maybe she wasn't actually scared, maybe it was part of the game plan, but she just didn't really throw many strikes, just waited for Hill to come to her, hit some pretty easy open space takedowns, out grappled her for the first two rounds, and then not much really happened in round three. Uh, the fight stayed standing the entire time. But rewatching the fight, I definitely think that Angela Hill has improved more of the mm -hmm. two. Uh, I think Tisha definitely has gotten better as well, but I think Angela Hill has made way bigger strides in her improvements. Uh, her takedown defense, her get-up game is much better. You saw her stuff a ton of Michelle Waterson's takedowns. You saw her escape bottom from Kaljic Adalia's takedowns. Those are things that she never would have done, even even maybe two or three years ago. And Hill's striking volume has gotten much better. She's much more comfortable on the feet, so... I think this fight is going to be much closer than their first fight, obviously. And um, the odds currently have uh, Torres as a slight favorite. I guess I agree with that. She did win the first fight pretty handedly. I still think she is the stronger fighter of the two, probably the better wrestler. Um, 
So I kind of give an advantage to Hill if the fight stays in the feet, although Torres is is a solid kickboxer as well. Um, and then Torres will have her biggest advantage if she can get the fight to the floor. But I think Hill's takedown defense is honestly good enough, has improved enough to where she's not going to get out grappled as badly as she did as the first fight. So I kind of see this one as pretty 50-50. Um, and usually I would complain about a fight like this being on the main card, but Angela Hill is my girl. I love her. I'm not complaining about her being on a pay-per-view card. I think she's actually really earned it over the past few years. So, um, I'll be cheering for my girl Hill to pull off the upset here, and I kind of see it as uh, 50-50. What about you, Carl? Well, this is going to be awkward for me because I have to see if I have sort of of a a female member of my sort of boy stable, as it were. It's Tisha Torres. I I really like her fighting style. She's uh, she's quick. I love the way she sort of like darts in and out, uh, sort of like those quick flurries. She doesn't have much power, and I think that's a given at this day and age. She's never going to one-punch knockout anyone on the feet. She's just not that kind of fighter. What I will agree with you on, though, is something that you sort of touched on earlier on. I think Tisha Torres came into MMA as a very good fighter. I mean, you watch some of those Invicta fights, she was already at a good level, actually beat Rose when they fought very early in their career. But you touched on it. Even though she's got better, it's only sort of like a 2 or a 3% better, even though Angela Hill, it's something like 10 or 15 because Angela Hill was mm-hmm. very green when she fought in the UFC for the first time. She had to go down to Invicta. She built up some confidence. She built up some momentum. And since then, she's sort of like being one of the UFC's go-to fighters when it comes to these sort of uh, entertaining brawls to fill out fight nights. Like, yeah, I mean, that Jessica Andrade fight, I put that in like my top 10 greatest women's fights in UFC history. Because that was just like a yeah. fun, like mad brawl of a fight. The thing I have with Angela Hill, though, is... She's been given a lot of opportunities to sort of have that big breakout win. And you could argue she should have beaten Claudia. She should have beaten Michelle Watterson. The thing is, how many times is she going to get these opportunities before the UFC say it's just not going to work? Because, I mean, if you look at the people she's beaten, they're, they're okay fighters. Like Marina Moroz, a decent, solid fighter. But she hasn't had that big, solid, I am here win. Well, maybe when the judges learn how to judge a fight, that would be the moment because she should have a co-main event win against a former, not a former champion, Gedalia, and she should have a main event win against uh, Michelle Watterson. But the judges, unfortunately, disagreed in both of those fights, both split decisions. And even before that, uh, Yan Shanann, that was a really close decision. I thought there was a case that Angela Hill won that fight too. And the last woman to really beat um, her handily was Randa Marcos two, two and a half years ago. But like I said, she's made big improvements in her defensive grappling since then. I think that fight would go a lot different if it happened uh, in 2021. I would be interested to see what happens if it does go to the ground because I actually think Tisha Torres is somewhat underrated in terms of her wrestling. And I think if there's a if there's an opponent that you can maybe look to try and utilize that against, it is Angela Hill. Uh, bearing in mind what happened in the first fight, bearing in mind that it's not Angela's bread and butter. But I often find that Tisha shies away from doing that because of how small she is. Like she could afford to do that against Michelle Waterson, who, as well, is a tiny woman for the weight class. But you're not going to try taking down Whaley, who's built like an ox. You're not going to try taking down Joanna, who is as gangly as they come. I can maybe see her trying to use her wrestling a bit against Angela Hill, especially if Angela gets the upper hand in the early exchanges. 
Yeah, I definitely think we're going to see some takedown uh, attempts. I mean, with how successful she was with the takedowns in the first fight, I think there's no way that she's not going to attempt some this time. Um, and I think that she will get one or two takedowns. I think she'll probably sway like one close round with those takedowns. But in the feet or in the striking, I just think that Angela's going to be throwing them a bit more. She's going to be landed a bit more consistently. And maybe Hills or uh, Torres's late takedowns sway the rounds and she loses a decision here. But I think Angela Hill is going to be doing a little bit more damage uh, with, with her strikes in this one. So it's hard to be it's impossible to be confident in either side here i mean i if you can be confident in anyone i guess it's it's torres because she does have that pretty convincing win uh years back but i, I really do see it at, as 50 50 so i think either woman can pull off a, a decision win here i'd be pretty shocked to see this one finish yeah what are, what are the odds for a uh, finish um i don't know if they're out yet actually yeah they are let's see um Fight goes the dis, uh, decision is minus three hundred, so seventy five percent chance, which is is honestly a little low. <laughs> it should I, be like eighty five. Because Tisha Torres only has two finishes in her career, uh, and one of those was a doctor stoppage. So her only proper finish was, I think, uh, Juliana Lima, and I think she got that on one of the Ultimate Fighter finales. Uh, via Nick yeah, but she, she roughed that last chick up, Sam Hughes. I mean, mm. whew. I mean, Hughes went on to give Loma Lukbunmi a kind of a, a tough fight. Um, Lukbunmi clearly won the first two rounds, but I mean, the way Torres just blew her out of the water there, it does show that she does have some uh, some really effective striking. And she just outstruck uh, Brianna Van Buren as well. So that was a good fight. That was a good performance. Yeah, I could be, I could be underrating Torres's kickboxing a little bit. She might she might uh, do a little bit better than fifty fifty, or she might actually win the striking exchanges here. So. Um, I'm not I don't think I'm going to be betting on this fight. I think the odds are, are just about right with with Torres is the slightest of favorites. Are you agreeing with the bookmakers when it comes to fight number three? We're going up to the welterweight division. Now, welterweight is it's sort of a, a bit of a bit of a logjam right now. We sort of touched on this earlier on in the show because obviously you've got Kamara Usman, who is just tearing through all of his opponents right now. We're already getting to the stage where he's having to take up rematches up against the Colbys and potentially the Leon Edwardses of the world. If he's going to be facing a brand new opponent anytime soon, it could well be the winner of Michael Chiesa and Vicente Luque. Um, I think this is a very intriguing fight that not many people are talking about. Yeah, really looking forward to this one personally. Um, I do think it is a hard fight to predict because if you're, if you're looking at like, how to predict this one you're going to say okay Kiesa is a grappler he grapples in all of his fights let's look at who the last grappler Vincente Luque fought was and you can go down that list and you don't really find many grapplers I mean the last guy who um really attempted to take him down was Derek Krantz he did get some brief takedowns there but Krantz is a low-level opponent he got knocked out quickly the last opponent who successfully outgrappled Vincente Luque was Leon Edwards way back in 2017 and actually how few grapplers Vincente Luque has fought throughout his career. So it makes this fight kind of hard to predict, in my opinion. I think there are two pretty common outcomes here, and that's either Chiesa takes him down and outgrapples him, or Luque keeps the fight standing and probably fucks him up on the feet because you know who has the advantage in you know what realm here. You know that 
Luke has the striking advantage. Jesse has the grappling advantage. So it's really a matter of who can get the fight where they want to. From what I've seen uh, of Luque's takedown defense, his grappling, I do lean towards Kiesa getting those takedowns. I think Kiesa is massive for the weight class. He's really filling out well at 170. He's getting some good wins. RDA, Neil Magny, uh, both those wins impress me. And I think that Kiesa is probably going to take him down and out grapple him here. Now, I can, could completely be wrong here. Luque could completely bomb him on the feet with calf kicks and punches. He is the exponentially better striker. But I think Kiesa is going to kind of hang out a distance, not really give Luque the range he wants, and just look to time that takedown. And I think Kiesa gets those takedowns and out grapples him to uh, a, probably a decision here. Not I doubt he submits him, but I think it's going to be a decision win for Kiesa. So I'm going with the underdog here. He is plus 125. I think Kiesa is a pretty solid bet. And uh, which way are you leaning here, Carl? I'm leaning towards Kiesa as well. Um, I might be in the minority with a lot of fans, but I actually really rate Michael Kiesa. I think when you look at... I think, yes, he does have a lot of losses early in his career, but I think that was simply down to being too big for lightweight. I mean, you look at the guy, and he is absolutely massive for a welterweight. So the fact that he got down to 155 in the first place takes me really by surprise i think he's looked dominant so far in all of his performances as a welterweight admittedly some of those were a little bit questionable obviously uh, joshua fabia trained diego sanchez doesn't really mean all that much in hindsight um <laughs> but i i think the neil magny performance considering how good of a grappler neil magny is as well i think it shows that while he might not be at the level of say uh, the Leon Edwardses or the Colbys of the world or the Gilbert Burnses. He's worthy of the opportunity to test himself against them. At least that's, yep. that's my own personal opinion. I've yeah. always been, I'm intrigued by Vincent Luque though, um, because not so much because of him as a fighter, but because of fan perception, because you look at Vincent Luque's portfolio. He's lost, he's lost like two of his past 15 fights, which were against Wonderboy and Leon Edwards both top five fighters. And some of the wars he's been in over the past four or five years, you think about the two Nico Price fights, you think about the Brian Barberina match, which in my opinion is one of the most underrated fights of all time. A Mike Perry who was still taking the sport seriously, who could actually move his head. The guy's had some absolute <laughs> wars. And yet nobody ever talks about him as this sort of casual darling in the way that someone like, say, Michelle Pereira is. And the guy's ranked number six in the world. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he is still underrated, even this deep into his career. Like you said, just war after war. And, you know, I've I've often thought that he might start to slow down at times. Like he might start to that that damage that he's taken over his career might kind of accumulate because he must have taken 100 punches from Barbarina, Perry and Price in their fight, like individually. So the guy is unreal tough, um, but. Lucky for him, he's not going to have much of a striking threat coming back at him in this fight. Uh, Kiesa, you know, his striking is getting a little bit better, more serviceable, but it's it's just nowhere near the level of Luque. Um, so I think it's going to be pretty ugly when this fight is standing. Um, although the one thing I will say is that is, I think it should be uh, orthodox versus southpaw. I think Kiesa is a southpaw when he strikes. So Kiesa or, um, or Luke is not going to be able to calf kick that that outside leg as easily here. So that's going to take away a big one of Luke's weapons. But still, boxing, uh, 
Luca has the big advantage mm. here and could put Kiesa's lights out. So it really is a matter of who gets the fight into the range they want to uh, quick enough. And I'm siding with a grappler to do so. It's the one thing I have noticed about Kiesa throughout his career is that he does have a tendency to eat a lot of shots, to engage in the clinch exchanges. And he's been man- able to get away with, with it on the whole throughout his career so far. Would he be able to do that with Vincent Luque? I think that Luque does have power in his hands. We saw him rock Tyron Woodley. But he usually finishes opponents through accumulation of strikes. It's not really proper one-shot power most of the time. And I think that Chiesa is just going to be able to do enough to survive those onslaughts and be able to get the grappling going. So I am favoring Chiesa to win this one. Nice, nice run agreement there. And I don't think we ever did official picks for, for Hill Torres. Um, I, I, I guess to... I'll go to Bloody Torres' decision, right? A Torres' decision for me as well. Uh, damn, we're agreeing on everything. We got to disagree here soon. Will we disagree on our core main event? And once again, Bantamweight Division is being showcased. And it is... Can we call this a, a legend versus prospect fight? Is Pedro Munoz still a prospect? I'm not entirely sure about that one. What it is, nah, though, is... His, two... his time has expired as a prospect. What it is, though, is two Brazilian fighters, both known for their leg kicks. Uh, potentially, it could be a fight of the night. It is Jose Aldo, who has almost reinvented himself down a bantamweight up against Pedro Munoz. Um, safe to say, John, this could be a belter. Yeah, I mean... This is an amazing fight. I'm very lucky or very fortunate that this, this is only three rounds because I think a five-round fight would really favor Pedro Munoz. And um, I said it earlier in the podcast. I said Jose Aldo is the best fighter ever. I'm not joking. I mean, he is the greatest fighter ever, in my opinion. For him to be past his prime, down a weight class, still competing with the top five of Bantamweight is just insane. I mean, I don't know if anybody has done that uh, to the extent he does. Maybe Frankie Edgar is one of the other guys who can can compare to that. But, I mean, I do think Aldo isn't as good as he once was. But, I mean, he's still elite. He's still fast. He's still an incredible striker. He's still an incredible grappler. And he is the best fighter ever, in my opinion. But, I mean, Pedro Munoz is also one of the most underrated fighters in the entire UFC right now. This guy is so fucking durable. Like, he is, he's a juggernaut. I mean, did you see some of the punches he was eating versus Jimmy Rivera? I mean, he was eating flush counters just to the chin and just kept marching forward. It's, it's unreal how tough this guy is. And... I do give Jose Aldo the speed advantage. I give him an early advantage in this fight because I think the fight will stay standing. Uh, Both these guys are tremendous defensive grapplers, so I don't see any takedowns happening. And I think Aldo will outstrike him early on. I think that the jab of Aldo will give Munoz problems. Uh, The body work of, of Aldo will give him problems. But as the fight goes on... I just see it being difficult for Jose Aldo to keep up that pace uh, that he needs to in this fight because Munoz is an attrition fighter. He breaks you down as the fight goes. It might not be his objective to start round one fast every time, but by rounds two, round three, he's really figuring you out. He's pressuring you and he's putting damage on you. And I favor Jose Aldo for the first half of this fight, but I heavily favor Pedro Munoz for the second half of this fight. And... As much as I love Jose Aldo, as much as I would love to pick him here, I think the advantage in round three for Munoz is going to be so large that I I cannot pick Aldo to win here. I really think Munoz is going to beat him up in round three. 
whether it be a 10-8 round, uh, a round three TKO, I think Munoz is going to put a hurting on him there. So um, I, I would still be uh, excited, uh, elated for Aldo if he pulled off uh, the victory here. I think it'll be decision if he pulls it off because, like I said, Munoz is just unreal tough. Um, while I think Munoz has the finishing upside here, I think he's got the cardio advantage, the, the durability advantage. And one last thing I'll say is even in Aldo's last fight against Marlon Vera, I didn't love his his output in that fight. He was picking Vera apart with leg kicks and body kicks there, but he wasn't throwing a super high amount of strikes. He wasn't, you know, snapping the head back of Vera with punches. I mean, he was very marginally outstriking uh, Vera there. So I don't think you're going to be able to marginally outstrike Pedro Munoz. I think he he's too good. He's too tough. He's too aggressive for you to let him do that. And he's going to break Aldo down in round three here. So um, I actually think a draw is a somewhat live outcome here. Aldo winning the first two rounds, Munoz winning a 10-8. Uh, but I'm going with like a Munoz 29-27 decision or a round three finish. Uh, sorry if this was a little long-winded, uh, but what, do you, what are you thinking about this fight, uh, Carl? Well, I like long-winded stuff, so, so it stops me talking. Um, I actually agree <laughs> with you on a lot of things, except that I think the scale of Munoz's advantage in the third round isn't going to be as high. Because I've seen Jose Aldo go into the later rounds as a bantamweight. And personally, I thought his conditioning seemed to hold up quite well. I thought it held up well against Cheeto Viva. Um, he was obviously the better fighter against Marlon Marais. But Marlon has always had issues when it comes to conditioning himself. And personally, this is the strange thing with Jose Aldo. In that the guy has always been a fantastic fighter. Like back when he was like the featherweight champion. Personally for me, he is still the greatest featherweight of all time. Like, better than Max Holloway, in my opinion. Controversial take, I know. But for me, the, the fights which have won me respect for Aldo have been the fights he lost. So, like, like I personally thought the heart he showed in the second Max Holloway fight, where he was clearly getting lit up in that third round and was doing everything that he could to try and stay in that fight, that won a lot of respect for me. And then in the Piotr Jan fight, we've seen what Jan has been doing. He's just been an absolute tank, just blowing through the division. And Jose, in my opinion, gave him the toughest fight of his career so far. So I mm. think even though he is past his prime, I think we saw enough of the Cheeto Viva fight that he's still capable of holding his own, even in the slow weight class. Like, I think if Piotr Jan was too, too big of a jump for Jose Aldo, Cheeto Viva was too low a drop. This is sort of the middle ground for him, a guy like Pedro Munoz. What I will say, though, is... If Aldo was to lose this fight, I could see him losing a lot more before he retires. I think this, if he was to lose this fight, that's going to be sort of like the, the TJ versus Brown moment. And I, I fear that. Yeah, I don't love the fight for him because, in my opinion, he, he shouldn't be fighting in the top five in this point. Like, he already did fight Jan. I think that was kind of a, a brutal matchmaking. Um, I mean, Aldo was coming off a loss technically, and he was getting a fight for the title um so i don't know what my point was here oh yeah so i i don't love this because i mean if, if he beats munoz then what is he gonna have to fight um rob fontenex or something like that I, I don't think he should be at the top of the division anymore i think you should be giving him fighters like cheeto for him to just rack up a few um easier wins i've got i mean that's probably dominic cruz what is it aldo versus dominic yeah. cruz yeah, that would be that would be really fun. Um, and and 
I would be fine with that fight because Cruz isn't going to put a beating on him like Pedro Munoz has the potential to do. I mean, we really could see it get ugly here. I mean, everybody remembers rounds four and five of the Jan fight. I mean, Aldo took an absolute thrashing there for, for no reason either. Leon Leon uh, Roberts, terrible referee. Um, sorry to, to offend the, the British uh, the British representation of the MMA rep- referees, but that was, you know, he, he let Aldo die out there. Um, but yeah, good point about the Jan fight. I mean... I think Jan's the second best fighter in the world right now behind Kamaru Usman and, and Aldo was going toe to toe with him. He won round two round three was a back and forth crazy round. And it really took to the fourth and fifth round for Jan to break him. So maybe, maybe Aldo does have enough uh, gas in the tank to, to be able to survive round three here. I was glad to see Aldo using the leg kicks again, because that was always one of his big weapons, but for whatever reason, he didn't feel comfortable throwing them for a long time. Uh, so breaking them out against Jan, I think, was a big factor in making that fight as competitive as what he did. And if it does turn into a leg-kicking battle, bearing in mind what Pedro Munoz did to Jimmy Rivera, it could get brutal. Yeah. I'm actually really interested to see the leg-kick battle here because Aldo is one of the few fighters who actually knows how to check kicks well, knows how to defend kicks, and I think that he could potentially shut Munoz's calf kick down here uh, if he checks them early. So it's going to be interesting to see how Munoz will adapt to that. But, yeah, amazing fight. Um, even though I'm not in love with the matchup because I'm a little bit scared for Aldo, it's still an A-plus fight, and uh, I can't wait for it Saturday night. I'm actually worried now after you mentioned that because uh, someone mentioned that the past four UFC pay-per-views since we've had the crowd back have had some kind of ligament break. And I've just got this awful feeling, awful idea of one of these two checking a leg kick and we get a Chris Weidman situation. Yeah, well, it won't be Munoz because the guy is too durable for that. He, he doesn't break bones. He doesn't get hurt. Nothing you can do to Pedro Munoz will hurt him. So if anyone's legs breaking, it's probably going to be Aldo, sadly. You do realize that someone's going to be screen capping this if that actually happens, don't you? I'm confident. No, you cannot finish Pedro Munoz. You can't. The guy is a, is a juggernaut. He he's made of armor. It is time for us to talk about our main event of UFC 265, and for the sixth time, we have got an interim heavyweight title fight, which is taking place. It is Derek Lewis versus Steve Garn. A little bit of trivia for you, John. Um, as I mentioned before, this is the sixth interim heavyweight title fight. Can you name? Three of the past five. Um, so we had Verdum versus Mark Hunt. That was one. That's one. Um, let's see. Was there one during the Cain Velasquez era? Let's see. Um, Brock Lesnar versus Frank Mir. Was that one? Uh, that was for the full belt. Oh, um. Brock Lesnar versus Shane Carwin. Was that? That was to unify the belts as well. I'll give you them. Really? It was Andrea Lotsky. Yeah, I don't know. Andrea Lotsky versus Tim Sylvia. That was number one. And then we Mm. had Arlovsky defending the belt against Justin Eilers, USC 53. Then we had two which involved Frank Mia. So it was Frank Mia versus Minotaur Noguera. Minotaur Noguera versus Tim Sylvia. And we also had Shane Carwin versus Frank Mia. So there you go. Those are the six beforehand. So this is going to be number seven. Yeah, this is better better than those fights, honestly. The, those are all pretty weak-sounding fights, to be honest. Well, Mir versus Noguera was fine, but 
Um, Tim Sylvia fights. Sheesh. That was a long time ago. <laughs> and where do you personally stand on this one as well? Because I've been very intrigued by sort of the audience reactions to this, and in particular sort of the difference between the hardcore fans and the casual fans. Because when this fight was first announced, the hardcore fans, the people who watched this kind of show, were absolutely up in arms about this interim title fight. They just thought, oh, it's so unfair to Francis Ngannou. He, he only won the belt three months ago, and you're only doing this for money reasons, etc., etc. The feeling from the casuals is, I wouldn't say they hate the fight. They just don't really understand why it's happening. Yeah, um... I'm kind of indifferent to it, honestly. I, I like the quick turnaround for gain. I understand putting the home home uh, town guy uh, in front of the hometown crowd. And uh, is Lewis on a win streak? I mean, obviously he knocked out Blaze. I mean, yeah, true. I mean, you gotta, you kind of. I think he has kind of deserved a, a a chance like this, even though some of those decisions were were pretty pretty iffy the blagoy and the latifi fights are both like really close decisions um but you know fans like Derek lewis i mean he, he is a very likable guy uh not the greatest fighter um but how about you start with how you think uh, the fight's gonna go down carl how do you see this one playing out well first off i'd start by saying that i actually think that Derek lewis is actually a lot more technical than people think he is like this might go over a lot of people's heads. But if anyone remembers a TV show called Robot Wars, there was a machine called Deator, which was like this fur-covered flipper. And everyone just looked at it. It was like covered <laughs> in fur. And everyone just thought it's going to get absolutely destroyed. And yet, Deator was one of the most underrated machines, like really powerful. But because it looked the way it did, no one took it seriously. Derek Lewis is a lot like Deator. Like he, he plays the fool. He plays the jokey sort of oh, I'm, I'm such a bad fighter, people should be embarrassed to lose to me. But I mean, the guy is 260 pounds and can throw a jumping switch kick better than some featherweights can. So I think he's a lot more <laughs> technical than people give him credit for. And I think, because if you look at, especially the Curtis Blade fight, I think it's a good example of it. Now, you might say what you will about the way the Curtis Blade sets up his takedown attempts, but he knew exactly what Curtis Blade was going to do and landed that uppercut right on the nose to get that win. That isn't luck. That is a much more intelligent fighter than people give him credit for. Yeah, I, I do agree. That was a nice, greatly timed shot. I mean, as good as a punch timing could be. Um, but, you know, you saw Blade is like, you saw him hesitating, hesitating. Like, you you knew it was coming. Like, you, you go back and rewatch it. You can see the shot coming, like, 10, 15 seconds uh, before he actually finally shoots that takedown. So it was very well timed. But the difference I see in this fight is that Cyril Gaon is just so much more athletic, mm -hmm. so much of a higher level striker. He, he doesn't, he doesn't really ever lean his head in like that. I mean, he stays vertical. He stays long. He never really gets himself out of range. He never puts himself in the pocket where he shouldn't be. So that was a great shot. I mean, he definitely hit his win condition there. He needed a one punch knockout to beat blades and that's what he got. And I think he needs a one punch knockout here to, to, to beat Cyril Gaon. The only issue for him is he's fighting an exponentially better striker than Curtis blades was. And rewatching that blades fight, I was actually shocked to see the blades was the one outstriking him very, very cleanly in the first few minutes of that fight. 
I do slightly remember that happening. I, like, I remember Blades winning round one. I just don't remember Lewis looking that bad. I mean, like, he was getting hit and he was covering up like he like he doesn't typically do. He was getting leg kicked really easily. I mean, his legs are so kickable. I mean, he doesn't – he never thinks about checking a kick. So, um, I think that Cyril Gahn's really just going to pick him apart. You know, I, I, I don't see – much of a, a path to victory for Lewis outside of that, you know, Hail Mary knockout. But even even that, he's fighting such an athletic, such a great striker, the better fighter. I mean, Sirogan has really leveled up in his time in the UFC. Uh, I think Volkov is a better striker than Lewis, and Gain just picked apart Volkov, diffused him completely. Rosenstrike might be a better striker than Derek Lewis. And again, same story. Gain picked him apart, demolished him over five rounds. So I think the speed, the athleticism, the footwork, the striking output, the leg kicks, the jab. I mean, everything is going to be too much for uh, Derek Lewis here. He's pretty much drawn dead. Uh, I think he's going to need a knockout in the first two rounds or, or he's not winning at all. So the odds have Gain at minus 350. That's like 77%. I think it's more like 85, honestly. So uh, I don't give Lewis much of a chance here. Um, but then again, it wouldn't be that mad if he pulled off the crazy upset. I mean, to pull off the a knockout like this in front of his hometown crowd on pay-per-view, it would be an, an incredible moment. I just don't think it's happening. Uh, what about you, Carl? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we run the opinion polls on the main channel and they asked people for who they thought was going to win this one. They've actually got Derek Lewis um, they actually think Derek Lewis is going to win this one at the moment, 60-40, which took me by surprise because I'm in a similar boat to you. I think that technically, Sibyl Garn is the far superior striker. And I know a lot of people have mentioned before what happens if Derek does land that big one punch. And Derek's more than capable of doing that. We've seen him do it plenty of times before. But Jarzino Roisenstrike is also a big power puncher. And... I'm not sure how many times he did connect with Civil Garn, but Civil seemed to eat them pretty well, so I don't really have major concerns over his chin. Um, I'm more intrigued, to be honest, by sort of like the fan reaction to Civil Garn, because like sort of like at the sort of like at the end of 2019, after he just beat Tanner Borza, people were looking at this guy and then thinking, yeah, there's a lot of potential here. This guy could very well be challenging for the belt. And the one thing that people have been asking for more than anything is to have a heavyweight fighter with the striking that they haven't said the bantamweight or the featherweight division. Sibyl Garn is that fighter. And yet on the whole, the fans seem to hate him, even though he's delivering what we've wanted for a long, long time. A heavyweight striker that isn't a fat guy brawler. Yeah, I haven't I haven't noticed any hate for him per se. I definitely don't think he's like a fan favorite quite yet. And that is because he does have kind of like a decision style. He's not really looking for that knockout. He's really just looking to stay safe and pick you apart. So I think the question in this fight becomes, are, are you leaning for gain to knock him out or for Lewis to survive to a decision? Um, and initially, when the fight was first announced, I was kind of leaning towards decision. Uh, just because Cyril Gaon never really chases that finish he, he's content to stay in the same gear he's in. like if he's winning he's out striking you in in whatever gear he's in he's not going to really tune it up and and go harder at you because he's no he knows he's already winning he doesn't really like to take many risks as a fighter so i was kind of leaning decision when the fight was first announced but 
after watching how badly Lewis looked in the striking versus blades, I feel like Gain could get him out of there from accumulated damage. Um, so what are you thinking? I'm favoring Sewell Garn by decision, but I'm in the same boat as you. I think that there's more chance of Garn finishing, finishing this fight than some people give him credit for, simply because Sewell Garn throws a hell of a good body kick. And if there's one big weakness that Derek Lewis has, it's shots to the body. Like, how many times have we seen him take a big shot and just start immediately turtling? And I know that might be part of his sort of game plan to try to lure people into a false sense of security, but I do genuinely think he struggles with the body shots. We've seen Mark Hunt do it, we've seen JDS do it, and if Sewell Garn lands with those big kicks, it could be over even in the first two rounds. Yeah, and the leg kicks, I think, are going to add up. They're going to limit Derek's mobility. I mean, he's probably just going to, if it gets to rounds three, four, and five, I mean, I can just picture it now. Like, you know, when Derek Lewis, like, just stands at range, he just, like, exhales. He just, like, like, he just knows he's losing, but just keeps walking forward, just eating the strikes, just looking for that one punch. Like, he he, he has some really funny, like, mid-fight reactions. Like, he's just taking the biggest breaths in the in the cage. Um. While while Gaines just gonna be you know hopping around, out jabbing him, kicking his legs off, and it really is entirely up to Gain if this if this ends by knockout or not. Um, and I kind of I kind of lean for it to end by knockout. I'm kind of thinking like a two three knockout for Gain. I just think the speed and the strikes are gonna be too much, and 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 Derek Lewis is probably gonna will to either a body shot like you said or leg kicks. That being said, though, imagine the crowd reaction. If Derek Lewis was to finish Civil Gone. Yeah, it would be cool, but it just seems so so improbable. Um to like it's 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 really hard to imagine it. I mean, like I said, the odds plus two seventy five for Lewis, that that's that's not generous enough for me. I think you gotta get better odds than that. What is Lewis knockout? I mean, that's the way to play him if you're playing him at all. Um I don't even see odds for that right now, sadly. So maybe they maybe they're not out yet. Uh, but if you like Lewis here, just play him by knockout. That it was my same advice versus uh, Blades, and you know that was somewhat accurate. So um, Gaines should uh, do whatever he wants to him. So one final question before we wrap up this little segment: um, Yes, the winner of Derek Lewis versus Sewell Garn is going to win an interim heavyweight title, but. Do you think the winner of this fight faces Francis Ngannou next? Because my inkling is that the UFC deep down still want Francis versus John Jones. And if they get it on their terms, that's the fight they'll make first. Francis versus who? John Jones, you know, who, who, heavyweight the, champion. who the hell is that? <laughs> I, I honestly don't even know who that is. When was the last time that guy won a fight? John Jones, Anthony Smith. Yeah. Uh, that guy's irrelevant. He ain't fighting at heavyweight. We've been over this before. <laughs> um, John Jones wants nothing to do with heavyweight. He wants nothing to do with Francis Ngannou. Um, and who cares? The UFC doesn't even want to pay either one of them for that fight. That fight's never happened. Yes, the winner of this fight is fighting Ngannou next. And um, it'll likely be gone. And then we'll have a really fun discussion. Then we'll have like an actual like real f heavyweight fight where either guy has a legit chance to win. And uh, that's going to be a fun matchup to discuss when the time comes. And if it is Cyril Ghosn as well, former training partner of a certain Mr. Ngannou as well. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. They're very familiar with each other. Uh, I think 
it'll be really interesting to see the odds uh, if that fight gets booked. I mean, I could see it being uh, a coin flip type of odds, but if one guy's the favorite there, I mean, that's going to be really interesting to see who ends up as the favorite. And on that cheery note, John, uh, we have managed to talk about USC 265 for an hour. Um, and I have to say as well that, yes, it might not have the most star power. It might not be the most glamorous card in the world, but I think there was enough to keep us intrigued. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, like I said, there are six fights that I consider to be really good. Uh, Fiziev, Green, Up, those are all really good fights I'm looking forward to. And I mentioned earlier, the main event is probably the, the least intriguing of all those. So make sure you're tuning in at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time for this one. That's when Fiziev Green starts. And uh, there's some decent prelims before that as well, but not not the greatest prelim card. And, uh, you know, thanks thanks for having me on the show, Carl. Thanks to, for the INC Live listeners uh, for, for supporting us as always. And uh, check me out at Martian MMA on YouTube, Twitter, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Listen to my podcast. Appreciate you guys. And if you want to follow me specifically on Twitter, you can do so at twitter.com forward slash I and cage fighting. If you care enough to actually get, uh, uh, put together some sort of financial support for the channel, uh, it's the main reason I got the new microphone. I'm going to be investing in a boom mic as well. Just try and soundproof the room a little bit. You can do so at patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. Uh, with that being said, uh, John, thank you very much for joining me for the past hour or so. I'm sure you've got plenty of things to do with the rest of your day. <laughs> oh yeah action-packed i'm gonna get this all edited down and hopefully john will see you in another oh six or seven weeks time when it'll be ufc 266 uh two title fights the return of nick diaz uh international fight week as well that promises to be a good one as well hell yeah man i'm looking forward to it i'll definitely come back yeah and thank you very much for joining joining us we hope that you come back this is the INC. Thank you for watching. Enjoy UFC 265.